I'm Hannah Young, and you're listening to Brits in the Big Apple, brought to you by the British Consulate in New York. My guest today is Sharon Carpenter, a broadcast journalist, television host and producer. Sharon initially rose to fame as an anchor and reporter for BET, Black Entertainment Television, and I think I'm right in saying was the only British TV personality at the company. She has subsequently worked as an on-air correspondent for a large number of top American and international TV networks, including CBS, BH1, BBC America, Sean Diddy Combs Revolt TV, and People TV. She also hosted the hugely popular online mobile game HQ Trivia, and is a regular contributor on The Wendy Williams Show. Sharon has also been a successful actor famously taking on a co-starring role in Fox's Empire series and producing and starring in The Gossip Game, a docu-soap following the lives and careers of seven female media TV personalities reporting on the entertainment industry. Sharon has reached what the Huffington Post has described as cult figure status and in 2018 was named one of the most influential people in London by the Evening Standard newspaper. She's also won four awards from the New York Association of Black Journalists and a telly award. Sharon, it's so exciting having you on Brits and the Big Apple. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. That might be the best introduction <laughs> I've ever heard of myself. <laughs> so thank you. Well, it's a huge impressive of my life and my <laughs> best moments of my career as you were talking. <laughs> Very <Good>. thoroughly researched. <laughs> thank you for that. Oh, well, we'd love for you to um, kick off by telling us a bit more about your career journey and, and how you um, came to be in the media industry. Sure. I mean, to be honest, I kind of fell into the media industry, to be honest. <clears throat> so initially, when I left England to come to America, I was really passionate about music and I sort of had this dream of uh, becoming an A&R and one day owning my own record label. Um, so I came to America for university, Pace University for business. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to intern for a record label um, for a woman named Fiona Bloom, who you guys might know. She's also a Brit in the Big Apple. And uh, so I was her intern and I was her assistant. And that was my way of sort of getting experience in music, sort of figuring out whether this was really something I wanted to do. And I realized it wasn't. Um, so these big plans I had ended up changing, uh, but I still had this big passion for music. And while I was still in school in university, I was actually approached by the producer of a public access show, which was like a super, you know, low budget community television show. And uh, they would basically go around interviewing different celebrities and they knew I knew a lot about music. So they offered me the opportunity to uh, come on board as the new host unpaid. Um, but I, I saw it as a great opportunity. I've never thought about television before. Uh, and I was like, OK, let's let's do it. Super nervous during my first interview. But then I realized I actually had something there and I had I had this ability, I think, of being able to get people to open up about things they might not normally feel comfortable speaking about. And that's when I realized, okay, TV is for me. That's really interesting. Um, and interesting to make the, the transition from music to TV and being on screen. 
Exactly. And, and then in terms of the journalism side of things, a lot of people sort of assume that I went to school for journalism. If you're a journalist, you probably, you know, went to school for it and have a degree in it. Um, but no, I, while I was working for that public access show, and it, it's funny how sort of everything happens for a reason, right? Sometimes you don't realize at the time, but then you look back on it and you realize why you're at that point in your life at that point in time. Um, so while I was working for the public access show, I actually ended up covering an event. It was a big star-studded event. There were so many celebrities there. It was crazy. But I was just doing my thing, grabbing celebrities, doing my interviews, being aggressive in a very polite English <laughs> kind of a way. And uh, the news director of a local news station happened to be there. They were covering it too. And he came over, it's Channel 9 actually here in New York. He came over and he said, anyone who can handle themselves in that kind of situation, as well as you have, you've gotten all your interviews you went after. He was like, you should be in news. And that's what put the idea of journalism in my mind. Uh, and then I ended up working for him a few months later, to be honest, because I am, you know, once I see an opportunity, I go after it and I am super persistent. So I stayed in touch like, hey, remember me? Uh, and then at one point they were looking for um, an associate producer, uh, a field producer, and I sort of faked it till I made it, acting like I knew what I was doing in, in that first uh, job in news. And it just sort of went from there. Wow. Um, and, and how long have you been in New York for now? And tell us why you, um, why you came to the US in the first place. What was it that brought you here? Yeah, I don't want to age myself, but um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been about 15 years just over 15 years. So I've been here for a long time. So I'm very much a New Yorker, but um, really the, the reason I wanted to come here was just growing up in the UK and growing up on American pop culture, you know, it, it, it is very influential um, in the UK. And, you know, we love the movies. We love American movies. We love American music. And I also grew up on hip hop music, uh, which had a, a very big impact on my life. When I was growing up in, in Watford, which is where I'm from originally. It was actually quite a racist time and quite a racist place. And so I dealt with racism basically every day from the age of four to the age of 14, being called all kinds of racist names and kids didn't want to play with me and that mm. kind of stuff. Um, but what it was that really helped me embrace the color of my skin and who I am as a person of color is listening to hip hop and just listening to the confidence of, of these rappers and, and other people of color who are just, you know, braggadocious to a certain extent, but who have been through struggles and who are overcoming those struggles. And that's why I fell in love with hip hop music. Um, and a lot of the stuff I was listening to was from New York. So Jay-Z and Wu-Tang Clan and Nas and all of those guys. So to me, that was like the place to be. Uh, and I remember when I first came to New York, I came by myself. I'd never been here before, by the way. Um, I'd applied to Pace University. I got in, uh, as I said, I went there for business, but I'd never been here before. I didn't know a soul in New York City. And um, so at the age of 18, I got on that plane by myself. My parents were actually coming to meet me a week later, but I had to go by myself initially. And I remember getting in the cab and of course they overcharged me because they used to do that all the time, right? <laughs> they hear the English accent and they take the long way around. <laughs> right? And um, 
so I, I remember just passing all the signs for Staten Island and Queens and Brooklyn. I'm like, oh my God, like this is the home of hip hop. And I was really excited about that. It was tough, of course, when I first got here because I was leaving my family for the first time. I was leaving my friends, my boyfriend who I'd been with basically for two years every day um, for the past two years. Uh, but I knew there was something, there was something driving me. There was something calling me. Mm. And I wanted a more exciting life. Not that you can't have that in the UK, but for me, I just felt like even at that age, I'd sort of done a lot and seen a lot. Um, and I, I wanted something different. Mm. Mm. Um, and you're making me feel nostalgic with all of the uh, music names now. And yeah, um, yeah. have to give a shout out to uh, Watford because I'm a Watford girl as well. So no way. <laughs> yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. We used to live down the road from uh, Rickeridge Road Stadium. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I, I, I grew up in Garston. We used to live in Garston. Yes, so, they gasped yeah, very well. Yeah, and I have a friend, actually my best friend from when I was three, four years old. We reconnected like a few years ago. We lost touch from when we were 11 because I moved to Guildford after Watford and we lost touch. And then one day I just tracked her down on Twitter like years later in our 20s. And, um, and so now when I go back to the UK, I'll usually go to Watford and see her as well. Um, and you've worked in media on both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, um, um, I'm sort of, but I'll let you okay. uh, I was just going to say, um, do you, is there a different approach to uh, presenting in the UK versus in the US? Is there a different style? Is there a different requirement probably. from the audience? <laughs> yeah, there probably is. I don't know if I know what it is though. Um, <laughs> because for the most part, my career has been in, in America, but... Mm. There are mm. certain things I've done for the UK. So you mentioned I used to work for BET. So I helped launch BET in the UK. And it was a really big deal because, <clears throat> excuse me, it was a really big deal because um, people had heard of BET uh, over in the UK, but didn't really have a chance to watch it. So when we launched it over there, um, people were really excited. So uh, initially, all of the original programming for the UK I was doing, so I was doing documentaries, I was doing sort of news updates and those sorts of things. Um, so that was my first, I guess, foray into doing media in the UK, but I was still doing it from the US. And then I also worked for BBC World News America, but it was still an American, you know, BBC news show. But they used to use my stories that I did for that show in the UK as well, because, of course, BBC, um, uh, everyone sort of works in synergy to a certain extent and um, they'll use each other's stories. Uh, and then the last time, well, not really the last time, there's something I'm doing now uh, in the UK as well, but uh, HQ Trivia, which you mentioned, which was a, a viral show, which it, it was just crazy how that took off. Uh, and initially I worked on the US show and my first show that I hosted, uh, there were about 1200 live players in the game. About four or five months later, like two million live players in the game. It was absolutely crazy. By the way, if you hear something that sounds like a baby crying in the background. That's my Bengal cat, Chewy. And he's very vocal. <laughs> he likes to get in on the action. He's probably going to make an appearance at some point. But anyway, so we launched the show in the UK a few months later after it blew up in the US. We launched it in the UK. And um, 
uh, that went from, I think the first game, there were maybe 10,000 live players because there were already some Brits who were playing the, the American game. So they knew of it. Uh, but then about four or five months later, there were 450,000 live players. Wow. And I remember it was interesting because all of us in America, um, we <laughs> had our team and um, they gradually began hiring people in the UK. But initially we were doing the show from the US. Um, so, you know, so we were doing the show uh, out of the, the New York studio and I was the only host originally. So I, I worked, I think, the first four months. Um, every single day, like doing these live shows. And it was two shows a day uh, during the week. And then it was one show um, each weekend day. But then sometimes I do the US shows as well. So uh, it took a lot out of me, but it was also an amazing, amazing experience. And I remember sort of having conversations with the producers about, well, we should do it this way because British people like, um, you know, sort of softer, kind of more serious voices. And I tried it like that a little bit, but then, you know what? I just decided I'm just going to be me. Like, I'm just going to be me. Cause there was just so much just discussion about, oh, let's try it like this. Let's try it like that. But then I just stopped listening to be honest. And I said, no, I'm going to do it my way. And as soon as I started just completely being myself, um, that's when people really took to me and that's mm. I, I think something that really helped the game in turn it helped me but it helped the game in in turn and I think that you know we can talk a lot about sort of what works and what doesn't work but I think that what works more than anything is people being their true authentic selves mm. and yeah. you know it's still very sort of I mean I'm a Brit who's been in America for a long time so I've got a bit of a, an American twang right that's just what comes with it so I'm not going <laughs> to try extra hard to sound extra British. That's just gonna seem forced. Um, but you know, I, the good thing was I was able to sort of come with my cheeky sort of British humor that Americans might not understand in the same way. And uh, and then also everyone started calling me Shazza, which really made me feel sort of warm and fuzzy inside. You know, because that's not a nickname that you use for Sharon in America. So it's very, very English. My family calls me Shaz. Um, so I just felt so at home and it was really, really awesome to be able to cater to that UK audience and then also feel the reaction and get that immediate reaction because we had a live chat going on at the same time. So that brought me sort of even closer to the UK audience. And now I host a podcast over there as well from here with Georgie Porter, who is an actress from Hollyoaks. And uh, we have a good time. We, we actually uh, taped an episode earlier today and we just have so much fun. Georgie is absolutely hilarious. You'd never know what's going to come out of her mouth. But we talk about everything from, you know, sort of the latest pop culture news, serious matters as well. Um, and then we'll also answer listener letters. Listeners will write into us and ask for our advice on various different things, whether it's dating, whether it's quarantine, whether it's work, whatever it is. And so we, we have a great time on that show, uh, but we're also able to give advice, give tips and, and help people out, which I love. And, and what's the name of the podcast? Oh yeah, that can I didn't look say, it did I? That was, <laughs> <laughs> so that's called Loose Lips. It's called Loose great. Lips um, with me and, and Georgie Porter and you can find it everywhere. So it's on Apple and Spotify and all the usual suspects, but, um, and it's doing really well, uh, actually over there. Now we're hoping to sort of push it a bit more over here, uh, in the States. Fantastic. So that's a fun ride. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually I was going to ask you about 
celebrity and the cult of celebrity um you um you you produced and starred in uh the gossip game uh which was giving a a a sort of behind the scenes fly on the wall yeah it's a reality tv um, um and and you obviously spend a good proportion of your time reporting on what yeah. celebrities are up to and and I, I was just interested in your thoughts on you know do you think we've become too obsessed with celebrities do you think it's a positive thing you know what are the pros and cons um that's a really good question that I've never been asked before I think that um sometimes we're obsessed with celebrities for the wrong reason mm. and that I think is my biggest thing I th- I kind of miss the days when we were obsessed with celebrities because of their talents. We were obsessed with celebrities because they starred in our favorite movie. We're we're obsessed with celebrities because like they're incredible singers and their songs mean so much to us. But we see a lot of celebrities and people who are, you know, famous to a certain extent or pseudo celebrities because of um, they were involved with controversy or you know, they say the wildest things on on social media. So, um, you know, I get it and good for them, but I'm still somebody who likes to go back to the talent and, you know, the the hard work and that sort of thing. And I think that is, it's funny, we were just talking today about um, Tiger King and how um, Joe Exotic, Joe Exotic from Tiger King, how he actually staged the wedding where he got married to two men. So it was like a threesome wedding going on, but it was actually staged so he could get on reality TV. Mm. I'm just like, God, like we are literally stooping to any, the lowest steps possible, like making stuff up just to have a chance Mm. at fame. And I think at the end of the day, fame is not all it's cut out to be a lot. A lot of people you've seen, you know, shows like Love Island, right, which uh, uh, in the UK, especially where it became so huge and a lot of people on Love Island have had issues after that with bullying online mm. and not being able to to handle and deal with that level of attention, which is also negative attention that comes with it. So um, there are a lot of people who want to be famous just to be famous, but um you know, something you you have to sort of really think twice about Mm. um, because there's a lot of stuff that can come with fame that isn't all sort of glitz and and glam and money. And I guess social media is a bit of a double-edged sword in that sense because it it allows us to know everything about everyone and it creates these new celebrities who may not have those kind of, the same kind of talents as the people who we used to obsess after. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, we're also in a world where everyone wants to know every single detail of celebrities' lives. But I am, you know, I'm old school in that sense. I still like the celeb who's like a bit mysterious, you know, Um, that's still like the Beyonce's and and the Jay-Z's. Those guys, they don't divulge all of their business. There's still like a little bit of mystery there. And that, to me, um, really adds to the star appeal. Of a, of a celebrity, but are we too obsessed? I mean, some people probably are, but I think that when you have celebrities who, I, I love seeing celebrities sort of driving causes and 
it's great when they can use their their voice and and their platform for good you know because people really pay attention even during the election somebody like a cardi b who people love you know she has a huge fan base sitting down with some of the candidates and and chatting with them and using her platform for good and, and helping people learn more and about well they might not really pay attention to in the same way if she wasn't speaking on it mm -hmm. yes yeah you're right they have a, a powerful voice in that sense <laughs> don't they which again it, i think social media encourages and and you know supports yeah and it, it's interesting because you you also have okay so you've got sports stars you've got obviously at the oscars you have actors oftentimes going up and talking about, you know, social uh, change or political causes and those sorts of things. And you've always got your people who are like, oh, just shut up and act, right? Um, and people have said that to me, to be honest, uh, around the election, election time, I felt it was important for me to speak on certain things. Um, and also with the Black Lives Matter movement and the killing of George Floyd, I've been quite vocal on, on that kind of stuff. And I've had a lot of people who are like, just, you know, shut up and host a show you shut up and focus on on celebrities it's like well you know I know about celebrities but I've also covered political news and even if I hadn't covered it I still know about it like I speak from a place of knowledge because I do my research because I am a journalist and that's what mm. that's what journalists do mm. yeah. and I was going to ask you about um diversity and inclusion which as you say is just a huge uh topic of conversation here and it's so important and I'm interested in your thoughts on the media industry and how it's changed over the years and what we can do yeah. to make it more diverse. Yeah I mean I think America has sort of been ahead of the UK when it comes to diversity because honestly I've, I've thought to myself and I've looked back at some of the stuff I've done over here in America and I always sort of was under the impression I, I might not have done as much. I might not have come so far if I was still in the UK. Um, because when I was still there, there wasn't a lot of diversity. I think there is a lot more now. And I think that's great. And I think also with the Black Lives Matter movement, companies are kind of checking themselves, right? They realize, oh, diversity really is important. It's not just about talking about it. It's actually about doing it. And it's actually about standing behind this cause and, and what's right. So I'm seeing these companies making an effort to listen to producers of different colors, you know, different backgrounds, racial backgrounds, black and brown bringing them into the mix not just the faces who are in front of the camera and I think that's happening both in the in the US and the UK um but uh but but yeah you know it's very important to to have people of color behind the scenes as well diverse voices behind the scenes gender wise as well because um if those people aren't behind the scenes sort of guiding the direction and and telling the stories from sort of backstage we're not going to see the diverse stories in front of the camera uh, either in, in the way that we should. But um, the Oscars was interesting this year. One of my friends actually was one of the producers, Jesse Collins, who's awesome. And he's like the go-to producer right now. So he produced the Grammys. He produced the Oscars with Steven Soderbergh. He did the Super Bowl halftime show. And he's a black producer. Um, and I think the great thing is, you know, the, a lot of companies that might not have given an opportunity to a black producer in the past, like we need to, you know, it's all about inclusion right now. Mm. We need to show and prove. Mm. And um, um, where our mouth is. Definitely. 
and and you were um, uh, talking about the Oscars and you're right it was great to see even more diversity represented but the ratings were down and and I don't know why you know what can we do to sort of reconnect people it's tough in general I mean ratings are down on TV across the board um, I was just in, involved with something called the new France right which is so TV networks over here I'm not sure how it is in the UK but over here they have something called the upfronts each year each of them will have an upfront where they talk about the new shows that are coming out over the next year and media buyers are there advertisers um, to see okay where can we put our money you know what shows can we sort of get behind and and um, um, advertise with. Uh, so there was something called the, the New Fronts that was created a, a few years ago. And it's basically four days uh, of presentations from streaming platforms and tech companies that are, are involved in uh, the digital side of media analytics. Um, but also, you know, companies like TikTok were involved and Snapchat and Amazon, NBC Universal, Ellen Digital, um, Ellen DeGeneres, who, as you know, is a big host over here, but she has Ellen Digital, which is a, a really powerful brand. Um, so, you know, we're seeing... Basically, audiences are becoming fragmented because there are just so many options and so many different shows. And of course, with Netflix and, and Hulu and those big streamers as well. So it's tough because also people know that, OK, well, I can get the highlights. I'm probably going to get the highlights on Instagram or I, I'm going to see people tweeting about it. So attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. And so for somebody to sit through a three hour long award show, really difficult. You, If you look at any of these award shows, I don't think any of them are up. I don't care if it's the MTV awards or AMAs, music award shows or movie award shows. It's really, really tough for the networks in terms of rating. So that's why they have to um, really put a lot of energy into the digital side of things as well, because mm -hmm. certainly eyeballs are going there. And one of the things that came out for New Fronts is that in a short amount of time, there are going to be more households that are streaming content online than there are like only streaming content online with no TV versus households that only have TVs. Hmm. And that's that's really interesting. Do you um do you think the um do you think the pandemic has had a, an impact on that as well? Yeah, the pandemic has definitely had an impact because, um, you know, people have had extra time. First of all, people people also love to binge watch. So you can't binge watch on, on television. Well, you can when, if you go to the on-demand channels. Um, but, you know, everyone's been Netflixing and, um, you know, a lot of our favorite shows, are, we will we hear about it. We hear our friends talking about it. Bridgerton, for example. Uh, it took me a while to actually sit down and watch Bridgerton because I, even though I work in television, I oftentimes don't watch TV because I'm too busy doing work, right? But mm. I do a lot of work. I do, I do watch TV in order to research. Uh, and every once in a while, I'll just let myself kind of relax and unwind and watch a good show as well. But Bridgerton, I mean, I got through that in two or three days after everyone was telling me about it. And then I finally sat down and watched it. And um, so, so, yeah, we have time... Our schedules are a bit more flexible because of the uh, pandemic. Uh, and also just the 
ability, just knowing that you have the ability to watch what you want when you want to watch it versus, oh, it's coming on at 10 o'clock today, so I've got to be home to, to watch. No, I'll watch it when I get home or I'll watch it on the way to wherever I'm going. So um, just having that ability to watch when you want, I think has been really powerful as well and had a big impact on where consumers are going to watch their content. Mm. And also it's yes. not one place. I mean, you could there could be a show on NBC and then you might be able to go watch it on Hulu as well. You miss it on TV, but oh, I can just watch it on Hulu tonight. Yeah, gone are the days of getting home and you know, everybody crowding around the TV to watch yeah. neighbors or home and away. Exactly. Which is <laughs> which really is a testament to just how like incredible a show like Love Island is, which to be honest, I've never actually watched the UK version of the show. I've never even seen it. But um the fact that it was able to generate, I'm not sure how it is now, but the fact that it was able to generate those kinds of ratings in this day and age, that was obviously pre-pandemic, but, but even now, like people are just so excited. People get so excited about that show. Um, I just think it's, uh, it's hard to be able to predict. Even with HQ Trivia, uh, HQ became massive, I think for a number of reasons, but one of them was because it was the only show out there like that. I mean, now you're not just watching somebody else win money and uh, play a trivia game, right? You can participate just by pressing, you know, an app, like just by opening an app. But everybody else tried to do it. Facebook tried to come up with their version. There were Indian versions, there were Korean versions, there were a million American versions. The Jonas Brothers had their trivia show. You're in the back of cabs. They've got like trivia now. I mean, it was absolutely everywhere, but no one was able to achieve what HQ did. Um, so that's why it's, it's hard. You can see, okay, this is something massive, let's emulate that. But how do you really get that same level of success once it's been done mm. already? Mm. Is mm. the novelty worn off at that point? Mm. Yeah, I guess um, you're right. Different? Yeah. And um, I'm sure immersive TV, you know, that's gonna be a theme going forward. Yeah. Um, and now I think Netflix is doing the sort of choose your own adventure. Uh, shows I believe where I, I'm not sure if they're doing it yet I should know this um, but I know there's talk about it and I know there's also an app where they are creating shows where you can choose your own ending right wow. so more say consumers nowadays like people like to feel like they're being that like they're involved which with HQ you're involved right if you can choose your own ending to a show or to a movie you're involved Remember the Choose Your Own Adventure books? I was just thinking about them. Yeah. yeah. And you'd try and orchestrate where you wanted to get to, yeah. but it never quite worked. Yeah. I mean, those, <laughs> those were also, I used to love them. I used to love them. Um, so this is, you know, something similar, but, but to TV. So I, I think it's a really, really exciting time, but I think it's going to be interesting to see the networks, not only networks, producers, advertisers, um even people like myself when I'm working on creating a show because I work on creating and developing shows as well like the gossip game that you mentioned earlier the reality show and I also have to think okay well although there are so many more places that you can take a show it's also very outlets are becoming much more niche right so 
how many outlets are there that would actually pick up a show in this space? Mm. And they're becoming so niche because there are so many of them. Mm. Yeah. And it must be, yeah, it must be harder then to come up with the, the, the new thing. Yeah, it, it can be because it's sort of like, well, you come up with something, but there are only two networks that would pick up, a sh- likely pick up a show like this. Networks change what they're looking for all the time. But, um, you know, and you as a producer, you sort of stay on top of what they call a network mandates, which is we're looking for shows like this, a show that's similar to this one or stay away from these shows. We're not interested in those. Um, but yeah, it, it just it presents both opportunity, um, but also uh, some challenges. But it's exciting. And, I'm excited about yeah. it. Yeah. And I was just going to ask, if you look back on your career, what, what advice would you give to somebody who is interested in getting into broadcast journalism, getting into the media? Um, one thing I would say, because I think some people have lost sight of this, know how to write like the, the the power of being a good writer that's probably one of the most important things just across the board and I, I think that you know with with social media and people you, you sort of using shorthand and you know just typing really quickly and not um checking their typos and, and things like that I think there's not as much emphasis on writing well these days as there used to be and sometimes I get emails from CEOs and there are spelling mistakes in there and that kind of thing. And as a journalist, you just, you don't, as a CEO, you don't want to be making spelling mistakes, but as a journalist, you definitely don't want to make those mistakes either. So writing, 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 be a good writer. It's really important Um, because journalists is not just about being on camera, right? You, you have to know everything. So you have to know what is a good news story. You have to know um, you know, how to track people down. It's much easier these days with social media. There are a million ways that you can track down key subjects. But even when you're out, um, let's just say when I when I got my first job in news and it was for Channel 9 and I maybe there's a fire, I have no idea what's going on. All they know is there's a fire. Sharon, go down there, figure out what's going on. So I have to know who to speak to, how to track people down, what kind of questions to ask them um, to figure out exactly what's happening here. Um, and... Uh, so, so learn how to produce because a lot of people have come to me sort of over the years and said, oh, you know, I want to be on camera as well and sort of wear cool clothes and interview celebrities. And there are some, some people who do that uh, and that is their focus and they might not write or produce, but I, you are going to have more longevity in this industry if you know how to do all the other things as well on the back end you're just going to be much better at what you do as well and this is what journalists do you know how to do like all the above like behind the scenes and in front of the camera and sitting down in the edit putting a story together and knowing what shots to use to tell the story in the best way possible but I would say that sorry young people um, these days have an advantage in the sense that there are so many resources and and things that I didn't have growing up, um, YouTube and uh, social media, Instagram, you know, I've got my own Instagram live show now, which has been really great. Uh, And it took me a while to do it because I'm I'm someone who's so much, you know, I, I'm so focused on everything has to be perfect and, you know, it's supposed to be a proper set and lighting and, you know, real camera guys. And now it's just me and my little phone and Instagram and, you know, one of my celebrity friends that I've, I've 
twisted their arm to come on the show. Um, but it's been great. It's been great. And I've really been able to, using that, I've been able to show people something that they haven't seen me do before. I do it all the time, but it's my long form interviews because when you're doing it for TV and you're doing it for you know, other types of, of platforms, you do a long interview and it all gets cut down, right? To like certain sound bites. But this way people are actually getting to see me do my long form interviews, like that interaction. Um, some of these interviews, uh are like two hours long I interviewed Sean Paul the other day it was about two hours long it was really long I've had Chris Rock on there um Lamorne Morris who has a great show that's done really well on on Hulu called Woke um Skip Marley who's uh, Bob Marley's grandson who's so awesome and so talented and and many other people as well I've had a few Brits on there too but, uh, you know, even I'm taking advantage of these resources now. And again, it took me a while, but, um, you know, you guys have, you've got all these different social media platforms. You don't have to wait to be hired to get your experience. Just go out there, just do a show, come up with ideas and, and don't worry about failure either, because the thing is social media is the best place to fail. You don't want to fail on TV, right? But you, it happens, it happens, but you Social media is a much better place for you to fail or test things out. Even with my Instagram show, I wasn't sure what exactly it was going to be. And so it was taking so long, so long, so long to, um, to actually create it, to actually just do it. And I almost missed the boat because of that. Uh, and a, a friend of mine, actually, I'll, I'll give him a little shout out. He passed away today, a year ago. And he was actually a, a music industry legend, Andre Harrell. And he was the guy, you probably heard the story about how Diddy interned for him and he, he worked for, um, Diddy worked for Andre. And then Andre famously fired him. And then Diddy ended up starting up his own company. And then he became, you know, Puff Daddy and the rest is history. But they were always remained really, really good friends. And Andre worked very closely with Diddy on his network revolt and many, many other things. But Andre was the one who said to me, Sharon, why haven't you started your show? So we all need sort of that kick up the, you know, uh, can I say it? (laughs) (laughs) We all need that. It doesn't matter what stage you're at. We all need that every so often. He said, Sharon, just do it because everyone who's doing these shows now is going to be leaps and miles ahead by the end of it. And literally a couple of days later, he passed away. but I, I see that as, you know, sort of a gift from him before he left. And he was absolutely right because it has been really good for me. And there's, there are other things that have, have come from it. Um, so, yeah, uh, use all your resources and be relentless. Like, just keep on going. Just be relentless because I've seen so many people in this business come and go. And people are really good at what they do as well. But they lost their job and they're trying to find something else and it might have taken, you know, just a tad too long and then they end up leaving and doing something completely different. The reason I'm still here is because I've stuck around. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm in it for the long haul and that's why I'm still here. Um, I remember Harrison Ford actually gave that advice to Vin Diesel when he was doing craft services on a movie set and he wanted to be an actor. And Harrison Ford said to him, well, you know, I came to Hollywood with, I don't know how many friends, maybe it was 10 friends, right? And after two months, five of them had left. A couple more months, a few more left. A few months later, he was the only one left. He was like, that's why I'm successful. So there's a lot to be said uh, for just sticking with it. 
try to, you know, obviously you want to be the best you can possibly be, but, but stick with it and, and find that belief in yourself as well. That's one thing that for me was a challenge just in the sense that I, well, I believed in myself, but I was super shy because of what I told you about. I went through childhood Mm. wise. I was just, I think I was a shy kid anyway, just in general, but then dealing with all the racism and the bullying, Mm. it, it really kind of maybe made me more introverted, but I had to sort of go on this path of doing various different things that helped me even working in the music industry with Fiona Fiona would send me out to go talk to people and promote this event and promote that event and all of these steps along the way um, I realized they all helped me sort of come out of my shell and get to that point where I was okay you know being on television and I got over my sort of fear of, of public speaking wow that's really inspiring thank you for sharing that um, and thank you so much, Sharon, for coming on on Brits and the Big Apple. It's been a pleasure talking to you and, and hugely inspiring hearing your story and uh, wish you all the very best. Thank you. Thanks so much, Hannah. You too. And, and great job. You're listening to Brits in the Big Apple, brought to you by the British Consulate in New York. If you'd like to hear more about the work of the British Consulate, please follow us on Twitter or Instagram at UK in New York. Thank you for listening.